This is The Playbook. I have Natalie Ellis and Danielle Canty here with me, and they are the co-founders of one of my faves, Boss Babe. Welcome to The Playbook, my friends. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Super excited to be here. Oh, great. Well, anyway, look, I want to know more behind the scenes what's going on. You guys are uh, icons to, I have three daughters, 23, 21, and 18, and I utilize you as an example of how not only you can influence people, but also impact change. So I believe there's uh, an impactful way to be an influencer and then an entertaining way to be an influencer. And both of you are truly empowering others uh, to empower others. What are some of the things that you're doing that go beyond entertainment? Um, looking at you as business women and the future that you're creating, not only for yourselves, but impacting others for their future as well. I think what's really interesting about what we do is we're on the journey with our entire community. So when we started this business, we were very, we'd had our own business before that. We were solo entrepreneurs. We were very lonely. And so we created a community that didn't exist for women. And as we've grown in our careers and our business has grown and our network has opened up, we're constantly opening that up to our community and making sure we feel like we've got a place to continue coming and continue being supported, but also help other women bring a seat to the table. So if we meet someone amazing, we're like, how can we get this person in to speak to our community? And that's something I think we do very uniquely. And we've both gone through some big life changes in the past couple of years. You know, me having a baby, Danielle having get it going through a divorce. And we've both been very open about the things that we're going through. Because in our opinion, if you keep it all behind the scenes, how can you really make your community feel safe and seen in the place that they, you know, want to be the most honest? And to that end, uh, Danielle, I mean, obviously celebrating a baby and the changes in transition that occurs. I have four of my babies now. They're a little bit older. Oh, uh, I'm the baby, not Danielle. Yeah, I'm yeah. the baby, not Danielle. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm saying I'm, that's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, I know oh. that Natalie had the baby, which is a lot easier to talk about, especially at a young age uh, than having a divorce. Right. We want to celebrate ha having the, the kids. And <laughs> I don't hear many young people I, I was engaged when I was in law school and broke it off. And it took me years to even tell people that I had failed at that. And, you know, at 54, married to my wife for 25 years, it was like the best thing I ever did was separate myself before I got married. But I couldn't imagine illuminating with millions of people the way that you have to something negative that happened and has, you know, a stigma to it of failure. Uh, not as bad as my bankruptcy, but uh, a lot of general people, you know, was was that a conflict or a conversation that you and Natalie had to, you know, feel comfortable illuminating that to your community? I think like when Natalie shared our community was always built on the behind the scenes as well. Like we always, we never wanted to be the highlight reel and we were always really purposeful with what we shared. Um, we kind of had several rules, which is like the holistic approach to business. I always say as a chiropractor and you can only be as successful as you're physically and mentally capable of being. And then the other rule we had, which was like no um, fluff and no BS, like we always gave the truth. So it was a really easy decision to be like, look, I'm going to talk about this. And it was actually really he healing because you're right, there is a stigma to it. And what I noticed was, no one was talking about it my age. I could go to 40 and 50 year olds to hear their experiences of divorce. But as a early, like I was like 31, 
no one was actually talking about it in this sector. So just like how we built Boss Babe was just on this truth and transparency and just like, look, being an entrepreneur is amazing and it has its ups and it has its downs. This is also going on in my life. There was highs in my relationship and there were lows of my relationship. And I think that's what makes us really different and stand out is because we're willing to have the difficult conversations and we're willing to be open about the transitions. And just like I did with my divorce, Natalie, you've been really open about the transitions of having a baby too. And it's not easy. And you, you know, so <laughs> I think that's important for us to talk about. Yeah, without the, stig- the negative stigma, it, it absolutely yeah, is extremely difficult. Um, I can't imagine how many new offers for at least dating that you get. I'm married with four children, and I can't believe how many offers that someone that looks like me would get while I'm telling people I'm <laughs> in love with my wife and in love with my children. I couldn't imagine telling people I'm available uh, looking <laughs> like me even. But more importantly, I love the fact that you guys, and it's something that I haven't uh, I have my own different platforms, but I just haven't had uh, the prioritization to create a certification program or a school or a course uh, for being an influencer. And I think it's the greatest. I've done extraordinary things in my life, uh, but being an influencer to me has been the most rewarding and fulfilling to be able to be an impactful influencer. And one of the things that you teach uh, beyond the talk, the blocking and tackling is consistent content. And I'm always looking for people who get it and Boss Babe, you two, you guys get it and understand essence frequency with consistency. How important is teaching people to be consistent with their own frequency, their own essence? Uh, Because I find that to be the most empowering of all the capabilities that I can help empower people with. Yeah, it's really important. And the way it came about for us is, you know, we didn't know what we were building when we were building it, but we committed (laughs) to showing up, whether it was our Instagram or a podcast, you know, the days we didn't want to post on Instagram, we post we posted four times a day for, you know, at least five years before we even thought about scaling it back. And with the podcast, we never took a week off. We committed that if we're going to do something, we're going to do it consistently. And what we find holds people up the most from being consistent is they haven't really uncovered what their true essence is. They haven't really uncovered what it is that they want to post, what they want to influence on. And the biggest thing that we share with that is people need to understand we're all evolving as human beings. Like we just talked about, we've gone through big life changes and our content looks very different now than it did a decade ago. And it's really important that you show up regardless. You know, you don't need to have a a personal brand fine-tuned. You don't need to know the exact niche that you're in. Things can change. Opinions can change. You can change. But you can't wait until everything's quote-unquote perfect before you decide to get consistent. It's the thing we see holding people back the most. And it's really interesting because my Natalie and I come from like totally different mindsets with Instagram. And, you know... Natalie has been posting consistently for years and it was a real struggle for me to get there and what we notice that holds a lot of people back isn't necessarily the ability to post it's the mindset behind posting consistently the perfectionism like oh I'm not good enough to show up I'll post when I figured this out I'll post when it's that and so whenever we're teaching as well um, how to grow a social media audience we actually always start with mindset because it's not actually the 
actions that hold a lot of bit, a lot of people back. It's the thoughts and the feelings that come before the actions and stop them getting there. So that was something really we uncovered in talking to our audience and my, my own journey too around like, okay, there's different ways to approach social media. There's a formula of posting and what, how you go viral, how you create that. And there is like, why are you not showing up consistently? What is it that's holding you back right now? And how can we change that? That's absolutely brilliant because a lot of people think it's mostly humility that stops people from posting. Uh, but I have met also a lot of people, whether it's writing a book or building their content online, that everything has to be perfect. Um, and, you know, that is a huge obstacle. If you want everything to be perfect in the world of social media, being an impactful influencer, like you're building people to be and certifying them to be, it becomes an impossibility. Uh, and, you know, you, you have to be cringeworthy to post a lot. Uh, and meaning you have to be able to look at yourself and know that you're cringeworthy and be able, that's why I love my wife. She doesn't hold back on me. Uh, we took our whole season number one of one of my TV shows and took it down off of Apple because after the, it was during the, the pandemic that Bloomberg picked it up and they needed content, business content. And so it was COVID content, I called it. And it was in a warehouse and uh, it was cringeworthy to be fair. But my wife was just literally after episode number two, watching it on Bloomberg, she said, if you amplify this anywhere, you're an idiot. And I said, oh, it's that good. She said, absolutely, that's how good it is. Uh, which I appreciate the honesty. Now, one, one of the curiosities that I have, uh, both of you have built an extraordinary brand. Both of you are extremely open, honest and understand your frequency or as you call it, your essence, which I think is essential. But I am really interested in your generation, meaning people that have been doing this for 10 years, but it's only been good times. And, you know, I really leveraged myself on losing over $100 million, going bankrupt, being through three different recessions and even one that some people have described as a depression. And I'm really curious how you guys are leading the way and preparing for uh, an accelerated downturn. Uh, because it'll probably be professionally the first one that you've experienced as entrepreneurs, as brand builders, as teachers. And I'm always curious on what your participation in that perception is, uh, because I don't know what I don't know, even though I've been through it. And so I'm always trying to learn from younger people like you that are leaders, what your participation in that perception is and how you're helping uh, a different type of mindset through a period where people have to see this as an, ex uh, an investment, not an expense? I love that question. So for me personally, I always think about when, when we're heading into a recession, et cetera, I actually graduated in 2010 when I was a chiropractor. And so we were kind of like starting to come out of it, but it was very much like, you know, there was still not an abundance of money around. And you're right, we've had this period of growth right now. But a thing that I always think about is just because you have a job doesn't mean you are safe. You could be fired by anybody tomorrow in redundancies, et cetera. So I see where we're positioning and we're wanting our women to think about themselves is how can they take back that control? What are their safety nets? There is going to be absolutely transformation in the marketplace. And when you have a side hustle, when you have a business, when you have a social media platform or a presence, no one can take that away from you. You always are creating that safety net. So speaking to people about, let's be proactive. If you have a job, what can you be thinking about outside of that, that you could be doing on the side, moonlighting in the hours? And if you have a business, how can you also be thinking about 
where is that market going to be leading? Like, how can I be more competitive in my pricing? How can I be looking at my profits? How can I be looking at ways that I can bring extra value? So when a customer chooses between my company and another company, they know that they're going to and get that extra special attention, those action points that they're going to need to move through this. And ultimately saying to everyone, yeah, look, it's not going to be easy and you're not alone. I think that's the other thing that we do really well is like we're creating a community around this. So there's a support system for everyone as well. Yeah. And one thing we're thinking about with the actual business model is, you know, our core product will not change because if you come in and you apply, if you actually apply what you learn, it's going to work. You can, you know, transition from a job into having a business that is your full-time income. What will change is the messaging around it. And so in a time when the economy is great and people have this extra cash and they're thinking about what's next, they may be looking at say testimonials from a place of look what they achieved. That's incredible. That's amazing. They're thinking about these pleasurable things. Whereas if we're going into a place where there's a lot more economic uncertainty, for example, the way in which we share testimonials are going to be different. It's not necessarily look what I created on top of what I already had, but look what this program helped me do from nothing to creating this thing. And so thinking about how we can change the messaging to say this product, you know, it's going to work regardless of what's happening in the economy, as long as you apply it. But bringing people in is going to need a different messaging angle because they might not think it's for them in a time like that. Yeah, I always call the downturns where the margins of millionaires are made and great entrepreneurs like you two really will see the huge advantage of this distinctive differential that exists between people that don't have a mindset of options, opportunities, and touches of favor, which actually are more, um, they're more present during downturns uh, than when there's an influx of everybody being able to participate uh, in an upturn where now you really have to have the skills, the knowledge, and the desire. But if you do, uh, it's the cream of the, the crop. I would say, you know, the cherry rises to the top and the great entrepreneurs do extremely well uh, in a downturn. It's much easier. There's less noise. I always create a ledger at this time of what I call, you know, investments and expenses. And uh, when we're preparing for this period of time, I always like to see something, you know, like, a Lamborghini is a straight out expense, uh, even though emotionally some people tell me it's a great investment. Uh, maybe if you buy it at the end of the downturn when they're cheap, um, but even buying uh, and building a brand, I, I see 80% of the people will see it as an expense and it's probably the best investment you can make to build a community of your essence, of your frequency. Your frequency is your neighborhood. Now I'm gonna ask you a question that's probably different than the millions of questions that you've gotten in the past. Now, if you haven't noticed, I'm a white middle-aged man, and uh, but I am truly someone that wants to build a community. And I think the best thing that people like you can do is to help me not only teach me of how I can be supportive of the community for young women entrepreneurs. Uh, it just keeps me up at night that 73% of the earth is women and people of color and only 3% of the money uh, that's funding goes, goes to that 73%. That keeps me up at night. But I want to one know uh, from each of you how I can support the community as a middle-aged white man. I'm the majority. Uh, and then two, um, what do you think middle-aged white men need to unlearn? Because I oh. think there's a lot of uh, good middle-aged white men who have good intentions 
but we've learned the wrong things. And so we have to unlearn something. So if you could help me in both aspects, uh, this podcast to me will be worth its weight in gold. And I will owe you both uh, whatever you need for helping me. I think this is an amazing question. I'll jump in first and then Danielle, I know you've got tons of ideas. So I would say the first thing, and this is something we've also had to learn as white women, but the first thing, it kind of starts at home, right? So when you think about your team, when you think about the team that's behind your business, making sure that you have a really diverse team in both gender and um in race, I think that's firstly really, really important because for us, you know, there might be certain, we try and learn as much as we can. We might put something out there and it's been a total blind spot for us, but by having a diverse team, we can get everyone's opinions on it and feel like, okay, the thing we're putting out, it's been gut checked by a really diverse group of people. And we think this is the best and it still might not land, but that's been really important for us. So that we've had to really think about that and because you you often attract you know like attracts like and you often can attract a team that looks like you and so it's really important to kind of push yourself out of your comfort zone to figure out how to attract a team that's more diverse and feels really comfortable at a company and then the second thing I would say which I don't know is controversial or not but I really believe there are gender differences and there's certain languaging and certain content that speaks to my husband more than it speaks to me. And understanding that I think is really important. So the content we put out, we're generally not trying to speak to men. And if we were, we would say things a little bit differently. Our language would be a bit different. The way in which we color our landing pages would be a little bit different. And that's kind of the same with, let's just call it the online marketing space where it's primarily men, right? If you compare our landing pages, there's a landing page in which I feel really safe in that community. And there's landing pages in which I don't or online events that I feel comfortable attending and online events I don't feel comfortable attending and I think that part's really really important what about you Danielle no they're really good ones actually and I know I would also just say around like um I always use the analogy of like having one hand stretched in front of me and one hand stretched behind I don't believe that I would would be here if someone hadn't turned behind and like pulled me along with them. Like I've had conversations with people like Brendan Bouchard or Jamie Kern Lima or um, Lisa Nichols have really moved the like forward for me. And they've also opened doors and new opportunities. And whilst I'm have one hand out in front of me ready to receive, I also want to make sure like, who am I pulling along with me? Who am I bringing with me and making sure I'm not just reaching out to the person that it's, it's easy for me to reach out to that person. Like, how can I make efforts to open the doors that I actually have to think about? And I have to be consciously, okay, let me open that door for them. Let me introduce them to that person. And, and being mindful of that. I think a lot of this comes back to being intentional and mindful about your efforts. Um, Back in June 2020, Natalie and I actually introduced a policy with our company about um, diversity in our podcast guests, diversity in our masterminds. And although we had retained diversity before that, it wasn't intentional. It had just happened. Now we are very, very intentional about that and make sure we hit quotas, et cetera, that we have decided upon as a team. So I think those things are just really like set the goals of what you want to do and be intentional to open those doors for other people. I think we can all do better jobs of that personally. 
Yeah, and certain things that we do is we will turn down a speaking opportunity or an investment in a company. We will look at who the speakers are or we'll ask for who the investors are in the company. And if it's not diverse and it feels like it's not a great representation, because at the end of the day, what the way the way in which we've built our business now and the kind of level our business is at, we get invited into rooms with middle-aged white men, right? We get invited into those rooms now, those doors have been opened, but that's not the case for a lot of other women. And so we think about that or if we're invited to attend a mastermind okay well who's in the mastermind and it's all one type of person well is there a space for you to give away some tickets to bring in other people in that sense and it's we've made some really uncomfortable decisions at times where we've said no to things that could have been really big for us but if we set a policy and we decide that's the way we're going to do business then you know people hold us accountable to that and I think that's really important that's actually a really good one because that's one thing that we have done where we're not afraid to like ask politely the company that's reaching out to us and be like, hey, like we're, we're open to this if you're considering these things, but if you're not, it's a no from us. And that actually helps people around you be more mindful too. It's like this like ripple effect of that. Um, so that's a really good one to bring up, Natalie. Well, I love the idea of, you know, this both way reaching out because so many times, you know, I come from sports industry, very easy to be diverse, you know, because sports is obviously one of the most diverse of, of all places, but it's not easier to be gender aware and you know, making a conscious decision. The president of my company is a woman. Uh, we do our best uh, to be about 50-50 women to men, but diversity has always been simple in our in our industry. And it's not in, in a lot of the higher level industries, And but gender equality is extremely difficult uh, in the sporting world. And uh, both from experience and the historical genetic and energetic inheritances that have occurred, but understanding the differentiator, I love the idea of pulling the right people up with us and then asking for help even from the right people and asking the extra questions about not only what is it, but who is it? And I think that's an extremely important point, as usual, as both of you make and empowering other people with all the different brilliant things that you're doing and successful things that you're doing. And I can't wait to see what you both do next. I have all, I bet on the jockeys and you guys are incredible. Please let me know how I can be of service or value. Love to be a part of that community of sponsors and power sponsors, people helping one another and people who know who can help one another and vice versa. Natalie Ellis, Danielle Canty, the co-founders of Boss Babe. I know everybody knows them, but join them in their efforts of empowering others to empower others to be passionate, purposeful, and profitable.